The Build to Burn podcast is in no way affiliated with any organization that indulges in burning things, nor is the podcast affiliated with any organization that refers to burning in its name. Burnout Podcast presents... This is a podcast about people who have chosen the path of designing, building, and burning large-scale artwork. The people on this podcast are very aware of the dangerous aspects of their work and take every precaution to protect those who interact with it. Unless otherwise noted, they are by no means professionals. Don't believe anything they say, and don't try this at home. That being said, let's meet some people who build the burn. Well, welcome to uh, Build to Burn podcast. My guest today is Rebecca Totman, and I'm going to um, let you tell me about the piece. I'm just going to say the name of it. The name of the piece is Joy Cat, but I'd like you to tell me about it. What is, what was Joy Cat? Awesome. Thanks, Scott, for having me. Uh, so Joy Cat is a... Um, a 21-foot wooden sculpture uh, in the shape of a cat playing with a ball of yarn. And her purpose is to bring joy to as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so was there, a, was there a specific inspiration? Was there something that... Well, yeah. So um, there were a few years where I couldn't go to Burning Man and... Um, I would be glued to the Burning Man webcam when I couldn't go. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years ago, it was one of those years, and I was just hooked. I was totally on the Camp Envy site, <laughs> you know, part of Camp Envy. And it kind of hit me towards the end, um, of the the platform that was there, and the just the sheer amount of people that could be reached. And I felt like... It was a good platform for spreading joy. And that's really all I wanted to do. Things are crazy right now. And I feel like bringing a little joy is, is uh, just good for all of us. Uh, so I wanted to bring a cat out there. <laughs> okay. So the, the concept was that you built it because it was something that you wanted. You know, you had this deficiency that you were feeling somehow. And then this was kind of like a, a, a solve for that. But then it's like, okay, I'm going to make it so that it's also for everyone else because you're talking about like that you were feeling you were having these feelings that you wanted more joy in your life is that what you're just saying yeah yeah basically you know with politics and Mm, not mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) just a little we i feel like me myself but also uh humanity really (laughs) could could use a little dose of joy in our lives and uh for me in particular it came in the form of a just a photo on my desktop at work that i would look at there was a kitten uh pouncing and every time i looked at it it brought me lots of joy and you know internet cats too playing the piano and all that they bring so much joy so i thought the cat would be the best vehicle for that. And I just wanted to make a piece that that instantly brought a whole body feeling of joy. And I feel like art is one of the mediums that you can use that could actually convey an emotion like that. Um, so that was my intent. So had you, had you done sculptures of cats in the past? No, I have not. I'm actually not really a cat person. 
Um, I'm pretty allergic to cats. Um, so you don't have a cat? I don't have a cat, no. <laughs> no, but it, there was something to get. There's just the cat nature and internet mm-hmm. cats that right. I'm just absolutely in love with. And they've, you know, been just an integral part of the internet then entire time that it's been in existence and the happy part of the internet like exactly. kind of occupy the happy spot in the internet right exactly exactly uh and they just there's that wild untamed nature to a cat that's i think really special and communicates that feeling of of joy of untethered you know wild joy right. but so um so then sculptures of other things not sculptures of cats so you what other yes um i've made let's see my first piece that i made when i moved to los angeles was a nine foot great white shark and i made it out of styrofoam and i made the foam cutting tools myself uh, that was that was a fun experience what um, year is this how long ago oh my gosh this was probably 2010 okay so do you consider that your first like you know big sculpture thing would be Literally, yes. <laughs> yes, literally, literally. Yeah. And what was the motivation for a giant shark? Uh, well, the so the I backing up a little bit. Um, the reason why I made a shark was part of a, an effort to create um, space for me, myself and my friends to make art. So I had an art show, a pop up group art show, and the theme of the show was Love Hate Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And so the shark was a, you know, I'm, I, I work in the entertainment industry like yourself, and um, the shark was a representation of my goals and aspirations at that time, was to bring, to, to be the big fish, mm. you know? Oh, got it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. And so uh, projected onto the shark, I had an image of um, my friend alternating between throwing a tantrum and doing yoga poses, which was, to me, kind of like this symbolic of that journey of like you know one minute you're like yeah and the next minute you're you know a puddle on the ground (laughs) the love hate element right that you're embodying both of those in the one sculpture Mm -hmm. and in the entertainment industry right period right and Um, sharks mm -hmm. Uh, it's funny because when you say sharks to me and i think of the entertainment business i think of like agents (laughs) yeah like you know the the things to you know be nervous about and the things to be like aware of that, that was you becoming a big fish producer, yeah, that producer on the producer track, right? right. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So you got a shark in 2010. Mm-hmm. And other big sculptures, uh, mostly installation work. Mm-hmm. I've done. I did several more art shows. I've actually done six now total over the years mm-hmm. of these group art shows, and I've made pieces, uh, small and and installation work that I can fold down and pack away. Right. Pretty pretty well. And store. And store. That's always a fun thing about big art is where do you put it. Exactly. Not going someplace. It's quite a responsibility (laughs) being an artist. (laughs) I don't think people realize that. (laughs) The the size becomes really important. Like, how big is this thing going to be? Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So then um, let's talk about... uh, So the inspiration for Joy Cat was watching the feed, feeling um, the opportunity for using the platform of Burning Man as a place to make a statement of some kind or make some sort of energetic you know statement and joy was the thing you wanted to make Mm -hmm. so um what's the what's the next step after you have a dream of bringing a giant i mean giant cat i mean that seems to be 
probably kind of important was that it be big. Yes. Right. Yes. So you say I want to make a big cat and bring it to Burning Man. And was it initially you were like I want I want to burn it? Was that that was always part of the plan? Right. Yeah. Right. So from the very beginning, mm-hmm. it was going to be a burn. Absolutely. Right. So then, what's your next step? Like, what do you what do you do? Like, how? <laughs> so from from that moment, did you already know people who had done pieces like that? Like. No, I actually, I didn't. I hadn't, I had been participating in the Burning Man community out here, but I didn't know anybody yet who was making art. So the ways I was participating were like towards an art car or the theme camp, but I didn't know anybody. So I kind of went into it um, blind. Um, (laughs) Pretty bold. It was very bold, but I, I had this background in fine art and in producing and uh, I had uh, just a very, how do I say this, just a strong faith that it was meant to be and that I would have everything I needed to make it. So I started, actually the entire time I did the same thing, which was take steps forward that I know I can take, right. you know? Right, I, yeah, yeah. So, that's, yeah, the, sta- the I, um, when I get bogged down and like afraid of what I'm doing, I, I say to myself, I'm going to do, uh, what I know is possible mm-hmm. and just look. And I, there are a lot of things I, in whatever project it is, it's like, okay, well just do the things you know are possible. Don't get overwhelmed by the impossible things. Just do the things that are required. Like, okay, I have to go do this, you know, do the required steps. And if you keep doing those often enough, all of a sudden you realize, oh, I've done things that I didn't know I knew how to do because I've stacked together all of these possible things into an impossible thing. But yeah, that same thing of, yeah, just doing it. What's in front of me? What's my next problem? So who do you find? Like who, what, what's, what's really the first step? You're like, okay, this, what burn was this? How many times had you been before? This is my third burn. So you'd been to Burning Man twice. Yes. And you knew some people through your camp. Correct. Yeah. And but none of them were necessarily people you were going to turn to for this project, or you already had some of those people. No, I didn't. I didn't really reach out. Yeah, well, it's okay. Well, but you know, you're looking for who's gonna. So then, where'd you where'd you turn? Like, how'd you find somebody? How, who did you find? Who did you go looking for? Well, that's a great question. It all goes back to where, where did I start? I knew. Well, I felt that I knew. I think I was right in knowing this. <laughs> It worked out. It worked out uh, that if I built it small, then I could build it big. Uh, I had confidence in that. I figured, you know, even if I made a clay model and I sliced it up, then I could scale up, you know, project it and make, you know, I felt like I could make, if I could make it small, I could make it big. Um, So I started with making. And did you model it? Did you? I worked with a friend. I called my friend. Adriani Dos, Dos Santos. Uh, she's a wonderful sculptor, and I met her at the ceramic studio that we we both did ceramics at here in um, North Hollywood. Cool. Yeah, and so I called her up and I said, "Hey, do you want to work on this sculpture with me? Uh, I think it would be fun." And and we'll, you know, if, if I just told her my theory: if I make it small and I can make it big, I'll figure this out. Uh, and she said, "Sure." Um, so we worked on that together. That was in uh, January. Yeah. When we worked on that. So, and had you, had you worked on the proposal at that point? This is just like. I did. Actually, I start, I began work really, I would say in late November, um, just on the conceptual part of it and figuring out what, 
you know, uh, what was the shape that I actually wanted to do? What could I do? Um, and keeping in mind, you know, I'm not an engineer, but I, I do need to think along those lines. So I was, you know, trying to make sure that I had a good base mm-hmm. to build off of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so coming up with that before we, we went into it, but I had started at that point. And <clears throat> I learned that when you take steps forward, uh, things come to you. Uh, and that's where things really started to happen. So I started work on... I, I told a couple of coworkers who are also burners about this project and they were really encouraging to me the whole time. And so, uh, one of my coworkers in particular, he, he said, uh, he has a UFO art car and he recommended, um, Bob and Bill real to me, uh, to help with lighting. Cause mm. he said they were they're They know their stuff and they're very reliable. Uh, and I said, awesome. So I reached out to them really early on and, they were just one of many keys that opened up, you know, boxes of potential along the way. And I ended up building the sculpture at their, um, art car garage over in Pasadena. They were kind of, they, they, yeah, they provided the space. They helped me with the sound and with the lighting Mm. and were just overall very encouraging the whole way. And also through, actually through Bill, is where I got in contact with Jen Moore mm-hmm. because Jen built Dot the Dog previously, or the prior year, I should say, at the Art Car Garage. Uh, She'll be episode three. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's when I got to meet uh, Jen, and she was so supportive, and she offered to help mentor me along the way, and she introduced me to Jesus, um, who was my architect, and she introduced me to you, um, who also helped mentor me along the way, and... Yeah. So, so it's it's really that like um, coworkers who were burners kind of mentioned some people they knew who they thought were helpful, and then they add a couple little pieces, and then they talk about some other people they think might be helpful, and so it's really this network that just kind of grows from there. That like, oh, I know some people. Maybe you should try them. I know some people. Maybe you should try them. And so you just started to build your team kind of organically. From, you know, just people saying, ah, I think these people might help you out. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, everybody wanted to help out because they believed in the subject matter and the sculpture itself. Like there was um, interest and benefits to each person individually. To How should I say that? Um, there was incentive for them for right. on some level, you right. know. Connection. 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 Not, not monetary or anything like that, but right. like... You know, it's a very organic sculpture, so it's out of the norm right. uh, for people. And that brought a lot of people to it because they wanted to be a part of something that was, I guess, a little more difficult and challenging. Right. So you've, you've got, you'd found your lighting people. Mm-hmm. You'd found a build space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd found, at this point, you'd found Jesus. And so is that when... You start because the the structure of it is similar to Dot the Dog. Mm-hmm. So, had you imagined that beforehand, or was it through that connection of Jen and Jesus that you now are going to move in the direction of that kind of structure? I had imagined that being the underlying structure uh, again, because this is a piece that was intended to burn. I knew that there wouldn't be any metal, so it was a different way of of looking at it. And logistically, it kind of Mm-hmm. Uh, it, that process lends itself to 
to a burnable piece. So, so let's talk about how what that design is. Like, what are, how would you describe the the structural design of the of the piece? Uh, I would say ribs and slabs of CNC cut plywood. Uh, so what I did was I built the three D mo- or I built the the clay model with my friend Dree, and then I had it three D scanned. Um, we live in Los Angeles. It's a really wonderful place to be, and there are all sorts 3D, of things. All anything you want, you can find. Um, <laughs> I found some awesome people to to do three D scanning for me, and they were burners too. Uh, so that was really helpful, and they they were super encouraging. Um, so I got that three D scan, and then I had a file that I could give to Jesus, and then you know he opened it up, and he can really get started. Um, and so the ribs and slabs were were generally made. Up. We had to lose. The sculpture, the clay sculpture, was very finely detailed. So obviously, we had to lose a lot of the detail um, to build the structure. How tall was the clay sculpture? The clay sculpture was, I think, twelve inches tall. Right. So you've got this almost life size ish, a little smaller than life size, very detailed clay sculpture mm-hmm. goes into the three D printer and now our three D scanner, and now we're going to turn it into a twenty to twenty something foot tall thing. So that's now um so you're saying uh, slabs and and ribs slabs and ribs <clears throat> so my understanding is uh horizontals and verticals exactly of uh plywood that are almost slip slotted together not necessarily but like this idea that they're interlocking in a grid that then defines almost a skin by where the plywood ends of of you know these pieces which can ship fairly flat if you were going to have it all disassembled. But anyway, we can get into the assembly process. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so now you've got um, you've got you're you're working on um, a 3D model of the big thing. At that point, you're losing detail, but you're coming up with uh, the design for the larger piece. What comes next? Uh, well, that was a long process. Right. Just getting to that point, it was a lot of time uh, that Jesus spent with me. I'm super grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we worked through a lot of issues, um, and that part of the process took well, it took a long time. And I would say the next part of the process from there was uh, we we started making a small model. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, What's scale? Like one twelfth scale, sure. uh, small model with the ribs and slabs, vertical and horizontal pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, but we couldn't complete that before it was time to really start actual production. Like you know, you gotta, you gotta. Go. The clock's ticking. The clock's ticking. Right, right. Um, so the first thing we did was uh, the head. Um, so Jesus gave me the fabrication patterns for the head. I sent them off to um, awesome fabricator here in North Hollywood. I kept it local. I tried to keep it local. Well, and it's <laughs> just talking about my experience in living where we live in the San Fernando Valley, the the vendors that are really within like two miles of my house, where we're sitting right now at the studio, CNC, welding, powder coating, anodizing, any of those, water jet cutting, like it's kind of the aircraft industry, you know, was really... Um, had a lot of this area and a lot of those technologies have went into like hot rods and so there's a whole like kind of lineage of technologies that are really great for us mm-hmm. really great for like the things that we want to do all these you know computer controlled welding or plasma cutting or any of that kind of crap it's all right here so it is amazing that you know you say that we can 
working on these projects, you can keep them very in-house. It, something that occurs to me, so you're, doing the, you're working on the head, which is less structural. You know, it doesn't have these structural components. But at some point, you, um, Jesus isn't an engineer. Right. I thank so you for bringing that so up. So at some point... We sent things over to the engineer pretty early on. Uh, when was that? Maybe in April at the latest, mm-hmm. March or April. So when we sent the the uh, plans over to the engineer, and they weren't fully fleshed out. Like, they weren't ready to be sent to the fabricator at that point in time. Um, but we were a good ways... Actually, when we first sent the, the model to them, we hadn't figured out exactly how we were doing the head and the paws yet. But because those weren't structural elements, they could continue. Right. Um, initially, the piece was supposed to be 36 feet tall, which was, is very it's large. Big. It's big. <laughs> it's, uh-huh. it's very large. Uh-huh. Uh, I ended up scaling down yeah, yeah. at a certain point. <laughs> yeah. uh, w- um, I, I worked on uh, Mukuro with, uh, with Nino. And uh, who will be episode four? Um, he came in. His initial design was forty feet tall, and I, I was like, forty feet's going to be really hard. Like there's this there's this thing that happens above twenty feet. Yeah. Like the world just becomes ten times more difficult above twenty feet. So yeah, scaling down to that like that twenty foot line is kind of a magical yeah amount. So had you had you known about Engineering? Had you known that that was like a hurdle you were going to have to overcome, bef- like when you started? Yes. So you, so you had you dealt with that aspect of it because that's a that's a in any large scale piece, engineering is a critical component, but it's not necessarily obvious to people who aren't you know familiar with the process. Well, I knew that it was something that I needed to do if I was creating a piece of this magnitude out there. Um, I'd done, of course, a lot of reading and research, and uh, Burning Man says that, that it needs to be rated to withstand 100-mile-per-hour winds. And I realized that uh, as, a, as an artist, I have a responsibility not to kill anybody. So I knew that the engineering was really important. <laughs> uh, and I guess I have... When I was in elementary school and and middle school, I had an eye towards engineering, and so I was doing a lot of um, like little engineering camps and things like that. And we did the like the technology student association, and we traveled and we did little engineering competitions and things like that. So, am I an engineer? Absolutely not, but I do know a little. I like I hadn't I had a basic understanding of what they need in order to be able to. Uh, rate this thing at 100 miles per hour. Right, and that they're going to take designs that you're going to work on with Jesus, and they're going to take them and they're going to they're going to modify them. They're going to put them into their software, yeah, and modify them and give you back ideas on places that it needs to be. Yeah, we talked a little bit about um, uh, the requirements of, of burning it, and and you know, are people going to climb on this? And mm-hmm. that was something I definitely didn't want. Mm-hmm. Was for anybody to climb on it. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I don't think people really did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we wanted to make sure that if they did, they, it would still be okay. Mm-hmm. Also, so that was something that we were talking about the whole time. Did you, did you make design choices to try and make it difficult for people to climb? What, how did you, how did you knowing that you didn't want people to climb on it, knowing that burners are notorious for climbing on things what was there any what, what did you do to to try and mitigate that i think this question goes go, loops right into it one of the biggest challenges of the piece uh which was the skin 
mm-hmm. of the piece. Like, how was I going to handle this? And making a piece that is intended to burn, I have uh, restrictions on materials that I can use, that I can burn. Um, and I don't know about you, but as an artist, I actually kind of thrive when I have restrictions. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so it really makes you be creative. And how do I do this in a way that hasn't really been done before? Again, I'm using plywood. I'm using wood. You know, it's got to burn. It's got to be wood. Uh, and so... Jesus and I were talking in the early stages, and I was like, man, I wonder if I can cover it in like a, just basic geometric shapes. Um, and that actually got even more simplified to triangles. And I, I thought, well, if we have the triangles, that'll lend itself to community. Hmm. I always wanted, in my mind, I wanted to have it be a space where people could come and create along with me and you know community is an important principle so but uh, elaborate on that you said um the triangles lead to community um what i'm hearing is the triangles lead to um community during the uh build the fabrication process that you can bring other people in to help with the fabrication of them with the application of them what both those things that's exactly right right in the build process itself uh triangles to me were kind of non-threatening like you can't really mess it up up. so it's easy to cut it's easy to apply you know you don't and it ended up being awesome Um, people actually loved that part of the process when they came and they had the nail gun and they were like nailing in these but anyhow the triangles themselves made it so you would not want to climb this piece they were sharp pokey things coming in all different directions with nails and things (laughs) you know like it worked out (laughs) we we made a funny sign and and people were like oh yeah maybe not (laughs) Okay, so, oh, so then a sign that says, please don't climb. It said, this kitty scratches, please do not climb. Oh, so right, even, yeah, invoking the fact that it's dangerous to climb on it. Yeah. Right, <laughs> right. Nice. Um, okay, so you uh, you send designs off to engineering. Mm-hmm. You work with Jesus. You, mm-hmm. um, you send designs off to engineering for the structural components, which are like the legs, the lower portions and the torso, mm-hmm. um, you start fabrication on the non-structural components, mm-hmm. uh, the head uh, and the, the paws. And okay, so then... And then meanwhile, Jesus is going on his own. He's got a lot of work to do, um, just preparing the um, the patterns for fabrication. Because right. uh, he adds all the holes for um, the hardware. Mm-hmm. He's, he's working off of what the engineer sends us, which is a hardware calculations package, which is a breakdown of all, literally, the nuts and bolts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so he's using that to uh, make computer patterns uh, of each slab and rib, um, and that takes some time. So he was working on that while I was working on uh, making the head look like a cat face. Um, which was a challenge. <laughs> oh, so, so you do you send those off to production? They fab. You get these pieces of plywood. Mm-hmm. You puzzle piece them together, and so now you've got those puzzle pieces together in your build area in uh, Pasadena. Mm-hmm. And n- then you're to make it look like a, a cat's head. Now you're talking about applying uh, your skin to it. Is that because you can't well, really do a whole lot to change the. I actually had to do the head was very sculptural. Okay. Uh, we did not figure out. Like, there was only so much that could be done uh, with computer models. So basically, we boiled it down to just give me the essential vertical and horizontal pieces that I need uh, to build the face off of. And it was 
particularly challenging because this is an organic piece and the head is cockeyed. Mm-hmm. But the vertical and horizontal pieces can't be cockeyed uh, for structural reasons. So that was a little bit of, well, that was a lot of 3 a.m.s, me staring, going, hmm, like this or like this, like this right. or like this, getting the eyes in the right place and the nose in the right place. And the f- but I had to build off of that. That was just the, the base for right. me to, to sculpt off. Yeah, to sculpt yeah. off. Right. Wow. So like this, the underlying skeleton is kind of throws it all off because the underlying skeleton is remaining horizontal and vertical while the head's itself is cocked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually went back to Jesus at one point and was like, can you like print me out one of those like x-ray images where you show me the structure and then uh, the actual um, 3D um, surface, surface right. like at a you know 50% opacity so I can see where the nose is on this thing. <laughs> I can't imagine it. I'm it's trying to picture it. Right. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so then um, you get through uh, to... What's, so he's he's doing all these things. He's getting stuff back from the engineers. So then eventually you're getting the rest of the piece delivered. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then at that point I'm send you know he's sending me files. I'm sending them over uh, to CNC. I'm you know driving my truck after work to go pick up <laughs> the pieces, filling up my truck, driving over to Pasadena, unloading them, uh, organizing, and then um, putting them all together. And that was really fun. I really, really enjoyed that. It's like a big puzzle to put the giant 3D puzzle that you get to put together. Right. It's a blast. Which is one of the fun things about, you know, to me about the um, like the computer generated stuff is if it's done well, then you, yeah, you get a model kit basically. He did such a good job. It was so he labeled it so well. He put a lot of love into this piece. Mm. Yeah, it was. It was uh, he made it. Really fun. It's not like I got like a diagram either for putting things together, <laughs> you know. Right. But it was all pretty intuitive, pretty easy to put together. And and um, when we got down to the last last little bit with the torso and the shoulders, uh, thankfully he'd wrapped up everything on his end at that point, so he could hop on board and help us with the actual build, uh, which is a real treat. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. So you get everything assembled in Pasadena. You don't get to actually lift it, though. No. Right? Because you can't, you don't have like a forklift or anything to actually, did you get to stack the, because how many components was it? How many, how many pieces? It ended up being, let's see, legs and tail, torso, shoulders, paw, paw, head. Mm-hmm. So, and yarn ball, seven pieces total. Right. Um, we built them down here we the head was pretty much finished uh and the paws were close uh the legs and tail we had covered as much as we could with the cladding which is the triangles but and we did as much cladding as we could down here uh, but we put all of those pieces on a truck Hmm. um, and had that transported up there because you had to leave some of it exposed to do connective pieces and things like that yeah so you couldn't cover it up completely Cool. So, um, I don't know. Are we at the point where you pack it onto a truck? I guess we're at the point where you pack it (laughs) onto a truck. (laughs) So you pack it onto a truck and um, you take it out to the middle of the desert. Uh, What day did you arrive? So uh, my boyfriend, who is our camp lead and super helper on this whole thing, he and I and Jesus arrived on Wednesday and the truck arrived on Thursday. Yeah. Right. And so, and they're kind of enthusiastic about 
you being done by like Saturday night. Right? Was that? Is it Sunday? Sunday. Sunday evening where Sunday the, evening the truck is, is kicked off to play. Okay, so you have to be done by Sunday <laughs> evening. So yeah, you up. get the truck on Thursday. So you've got kind of Thursday afternoon, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. So you've really got three days to to do this. Okay, so then what, let's maybe walk through the process of like, what, what do you remember of, uh, of that process? What are the highlights? Like, what's the first thing you remember? Uh... Well, we were we were pretty pla- like it was pretty well planned out. I had been working with my project manager Jeremy, mm. uh, and he needed it to be pretty well planned out. So um, I had you know plans for each day, and I communicated those with my team ahead of time. And these were my goals, and and we came pretty darn close to hitting them. I mean, we we finished on Sunday, so that was that was fantastic. But so you you roll in. Yes. You're, the first place you go when you roll in, where's the first place you go when, when you get there? I mean, you're at Black Rock City, so you've got choices, right? You, you could go to your campsite and start dropping stuff off there because you, you had an art support camp. Yes, right? yes. So you'd applied for an art support camp, and they'd given you a piece of land for your team to camp on. But then, I mean, I know my thought process is the second I hit the playa, if I've got a piece, I want to go straight to the artery and I want to tell them I'm here and I want to find out where my piece is going to go. <laughs> That's exactly what I did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we went to the, went to the campsite first uh, and, and then I split and went for the artery uh, and got my placement, which was perfect. It was so special. I was so grateful. It was right in alignment with my goal, which was to bring joy to as many people as possible. And, and that means the people at home who can't go to Burning Man or, or yeah, for whatever reason. Well, specifically, this was also, that was also part of your inspiration was this webcam that was showing that. And so you'd requested a spot from the artery that would be within view of that same webcam. Yeah. yeah. Somewhere in view of the webcam, webcam, yeah. which is a huge sprawling wide space. Right. Thankfully. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Could be most anywhere, but, but not deep playa, you right. know, yeah. I, that's not yeah. going to work out. Yeah. So, uh, they ended up putting me, um, between about halfway between center camp and the man, um, right off six thirty. Right. So nice. That was a, a, a great location. And I heard, I did hear feedback from camp envy that they saw the piece and, it was a thumbs up. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, um, you know, things, the, the, the process of taking you to your location, there's, there's this thing called the floofy. Oh, right. That, um, that Burning Man uses to identify where your piece is going to go. And so do you want to tell us what, what, what's that process like of going from the artery to find your spot? Oh man, it was so exciting because at that point it's like, pretty well empty you've got the big pieces you know like the temple like they're building the temple the man's up the follies way out there and pretty much built the head maze has been going on for like a week at that point so we got the big pieces but the littler stuff isn't in yet you know it's build week it's just starting so it's kind of like a blank canvas and it's super exciting we rode out on um what was the boat it was just a little boat (laughs) but it was an adventure (laughs) Uh, and we didn't hardly drive very far at all. They were actually pretty surprised. <laughs> they were like, oh, we're here already. Right. Well, you were right in front of the artery. I mean, that was one of yeah. the interesting things. Like, anytime I needed to go to the artery, it was like, oh, 
joy cats right in the front yard of the artery, which was kind of neat. So they got to, one of the things that they would say when you'd go to the artery and say that you were with joy cat is they'd like, Oh, we've been watching you build because yeah. you're right out in front. That's awesome. Yeah. That was so exciting. I, I, I have a picture. I was just like smiling ear to ear when, when I got that and pointing at the little floofy, which right. is super awesome. And right. Yeah, that was that was super exciting, but at the same time, it's a little daunting because it's like, wait, you put me right here. Like, I better not disappoint. Right, right, <laughs> right. It's everything you wanted, and then it's the fear of everything you wanted. <laughs> but you know, I had been tackling fear so much just to get to the point of being there at that point. So it's like, this is happening. Yeah. It's gonna be great. The you train's know? rolling. <laughs> I got it to this point. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, one of the other things, just to, not to harp on the floofy, but. It ends up that that's kind of really the only thing you now have left. Pretty much, yeah. Right. So that's an interesting thing. It become you know, it just becomes this interesting thing for a burn that it's like you burn everything and you're left with that compact disc that's got the name of the project and the location and your little floofy and that's kind of it's it's an it's an interesting badge of honor that you know there aren't a whole lot of people who have floofies. And that's, you know, and a lot of people who go to Burning Man don't even know what, a, what they are. And you have to be an artist that's had an installation to be able to actually have one of those. Yeah. And like you said, for a piece that burns, it's, it's particularly special because there wasn't anything before the piece got there and there isn't anything now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you get out there, you, um, yeah, I mean, it sounds like your build went smoothly. I mean, yes, <laughs> absolutely. All things considered, uh, it's a difficult process. Just being out there is difficult. I mean, what can you say? Just getting there is tough, you know. Uh, so, and doing a build like this out there is is tough. And um, but yeah, all things considered, it went very smooth. The team was amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was met by four guys, one from Ojai and three from Texas that I'd never met before. And they came and they camped with us and they helped build. And that was just a super amazing experience. Um, I think that's a, um, I think that's a, an awesome story um, because that happens on a lot of projects. Uh, talk about how you, how did you meet them? How did you find out about these people who you did? Because you, you met them on the playa. You yeah. never physically met these people before. So how did you find out about them? How did they find out about you beforehand? You know, it goes back to that same coworker who, with the UFO, no, right? <laughs> who referred uh, me to the reels. Uh, yeah, he he gave me a post-it note one day, and he said, here's this guy, Todd. And he I, told, I was at a party over Christmas, and I was talking to him about your piece, and he wants to help out. He's a builder. Here you go. And it's his phone number, and it just says Todd, builder, and his phone number. And so I called Todd when I was ready to, you know, when I had, after the piece, we had built the little model and it, at that point it was well underway. It was, you know, Jesus was working on the um, architectural plans and, and all that. And I called Todd and he said, you know, he's really interested. Um, but at the same time, he doesn't really know me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was a concern of his the whole time is like, well, who are these people and can I do this? You know, there's, there's a lot of ambition, uh, that doesn't get realized, I think. <laughs> and, and I think he, you know, anyhow, we kept talking the whole time. He never actually had a chance to make it down to help us with the build ahead of time, but he just went all in. And then his friend Joe, who's an artist who lives in um, somewhere in Texas, <laughs> he was on, asked me if, 
he could come, and I said, for sure. And then he invited his son, and then they invited their friend uh, who um, makes art at this makerspace uh, that they all work at. So that's kind of how it, how it happened, but it was really me continuing to take steps forward and showing that this piece can actually happen, and that brings people to it because they want to be, you know, he's a builder, that's what he specializes in, but he needs me to like have the right things for him to build. <laughs> right. So that's that's I think that's four people you were talking about. Mm-hmm. So how big was the the build crew uh, across the board? Like how many people were in the build crew? Oh, that's a great question. Um, it was the core team was the four of them, me and Jesus. And then Carlton, my boyfriend, who was heading up the camp. So they were building at the camp, and then they would come out and help us at the sculpture. Mm-hmm. Um, and you helped us out a few yeah. times. <laughs> but so, so that means and then, the, the interesting thing is those four people who you'd never met before formed the core of your build team, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, that's just an exciting thought in general of I'm rolling out here with a truck with a sculpture in it and these four people who I've never met before are going to be the ones who are going to help me realize it. You know, that's, it's just amazing, uh, faith, you know, it's amazing, um, you know, community that can come together. That's just, you know, that's incredible that that's the majority, right? The majority of your builders, the vast majority of your builders were just people you had never met before. Exactly. That's awesome. It was awesome. It was super great because they hadn't been, you know, I we were all working down here down to the wire leading up to there, but they hadn't worked on the piece until we got there. For so for them it was like a fresh piece. They hadn't they hadn't already put in everything to to get it to that point. So I think they approached it with a freshness um, and with a real like can-do attitude that awesome. they weren't burnt out. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's what you're basically saying. They weren't angry at the sculpture yet. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody else was just like, why am I doing this? Like, they're like, ooh, this is exciting. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so um, so you build it, you install it, um, fairly to plan. Fairly to plan. You know, we had whiteout uh, conditions, our two heaviest build days, uh, but we worked through it and... Um, Jesus and I were up at dawn out there working and, <laughs> and then the guys would come out after breakfast and we'd get it done. Uh, we had two awesome um, art representatives out there um, who were helping us make sure we got all of our heavy machinery needs taken care of. Um, and that was a whole adventure. That was So give an example. Part. Give me an example of what sort of heavy equipment you needed for this. Well, it started out with we needed a VR lift to get the sculpture off the truck. So day one unloading the truck we needed heavy equipment uh that was that was pretty cool watching this thing be birthed out of (laughs) a 50 foot truck um and then we needed we needed vr we needed the equipment to move pretty much everything uh so then the next day the vr came out and helped us put the uh feet on um near the anchor points and then put the torso on the feet and tail Mm -hmm. so that was one day's worth of work and then the next day we needed the uh gosh that that day was a big day we needed the vr lift to lift the shoulders and paws on and we needed um condor to help with that part and the head Mm -hmm. so that was like a two-person and we had just the most amazing drivers it was an all-female team it was really Mm -hmm. cool Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Right. They're awesome. The people who run the heavy equipment at Burning Man are just fantastic. They were so awesome. And like the physics behind the VR lift and just getting the piece perfectly in alignment was just I mean, it was outstanding. It was, it was, I should say, astounding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they're artists too, right? Like that's their art. Their art is with this heavy equipment and it's just, it's amazing. Uh, um, One of the things that ended up happening with your piece that I thought was really interesting was um, discussions about earth anchors. Mm, Yeah. So um, my experience with earth anchors had always been uh, having art support and heavy equipment install them for us and i think this year presents um this past year burning man presents this interesting watershed between uh waiting on art support services to install um steel earth anchors that are provided by burning man and this kind of new frontier of earth anchors which are the aluminum american is that american the, earth anchor. the american earth anchors so it would um my past experience was i never touched an earth anchor burning man would come out they would install them and then they would remove them when it was over and there were these large steel augers. But your your engineers specced the American ones? Is that what it was? The engineers did spec the, the American earth anchors. It needed to be rated to withstand 6,000 pounds of upward torque uh, winds. And um, the Burning Man anchors, or the anchors that Burning Man provides only go up to 3,400 pounds or something like that. Right. So, yeah, it was, that was a, that was tough. I had um, heard from a few people along the way that I didn't need to purchase earth anchors and that that was, you know. Probably for me. I mean, be, I, I would have said it that It wasn't you. just you. It was a, a number of people who right. said that. Um, and so I was like, sweet, I don't have to spend that money. I'm not going to do that right. then because, you know, I'm funding this myself right um so i didn't and then it came down to the last few moments not the last few moments but i'm you know figuring out i'm putting together my hardware order and i'm like wait a second i gotta figure out you know a connection piece and that i reached out to my project manager manager at that time and i was like so do i need to you burning man will provide these anchors for me he said no burning man is going to provide one anchor for you but the other three you're, you need to check with your engineer because I, I can't approve that because they aren't rated high enough. And so I went back to the engineer at that point. I'm like, just to be clear, I have to have the American Earth Anchors. And they said, yeah, you definitely do. You have to have the three American Earth Anchors. Um, so at that point, uh, I called American Earth Anchor and they were sold out of the hex head version of it. So um, I ended up getting one that had a guy wire shape to it. So it wasn't Ideal and it ended up working perfectly, of course. Right, right. It ended up being probably better than. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were totally better. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it was. That was a good, good twist of fate there. Um, but installing the Burning Man anchor or the installing them, sorry, the American Earth anchors was always uh, uh, an area of question. Um, Burning Man says that they won't provide heavy equipment for installing the American Earth anchors. Only the Burning Man anchors. Um, and they said that I would need like a tow behind auger to put them in. And I was like, well, do I have to rent this or, or, you know, or is, does somebody else have one out there? And they came at me at the very, like two days before I left and said, no, you're taken care of. Somebody out there has one. You don't need to rent one. So I was like, okay. And just left. 
with faith that Burning Man has the tools to get these installed for you. Yeah, some other some art project or something is also having to use these earth anchors and has the toe behind the tool, the the toe behind, right? Because this is what you're imagining at that point. Because it's a toe behind. Yeah. Yeah, like a bobcat or something. That's what I was totally right. Totally. That's what you're envisioning. And then, as it turns out, that's really not the case at all. Well, yeah. As it turns, so. Um, I get out there and it comes time, you know, we've got the, we need to put down the, the anchors. The anchors go f- right after the, do they come before or after the, how did I forget uh, this already? Right. See, <laughs> see, okay. So, they um, go first. they, they're going to go uh, before the decomposed granite. Cause you're not going to want to drive the earth anchors through the decomposed granite. So, yes. we're, um, so there's a couple of steps, right? So first you get your position mm-hmm. before you can build anything. You have to get your earth anchors installed, and you have to get your decomposed granite put down. The reason for the decomposed granite is to protect the playa from the burn. So all this, there's a lot of lot to consider when you're making a piece to burn, uh, yeah. and all these are things to consider. <laughs> so, which is an interesting thing. Um, once you've been part of a burn project and you know about the decomposed granite, now you know that when you go to a project and you look at it, you can see if um, if it's going to be a burn. Because you can see decomposed granite on the ground around it. Right. But if you don't know to look for the decomposed granite, you don't know even what it looks like. Because mm-hmm. it looks very similar to the playa. But once you've seen it, you're like, oh, this isn't playa. It's got little pebbles and stuff in it. This is decomposed granite. This piece is going to burn. But, you know, that's it's a it's a it's an interesting little sign that you wouldn't know if you've never done a burn project before. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got your decomposed granite. You've got your earth anchors. And then you build... Um, the thing that I thought was interesting was this transition to these American earth anchors. I think in years to come, we're going to see a lot more of them because not having to wait on Burning Man to put in those anchors and that they've got a higher pull strength than the other ones. I mean, it just gives the artist a lot more self-determination. Mm-hmm. That you can just do it when you're ready. You're like, okay, I'm gonna, I, maybe I need to put four of them in now, but I can wait on this fifth one because I want to do this other thing and then I'm going to put that one in you know, or whatever, you have that flexibility if you are putting them in yourself. But if, like, they have to come out, then you're like, oh, I don't want to run the risk of them coming out and then not being able to come out tomorrow or... Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah. And so that was the first problem. That was really the first problem that was I was presented with is, like, how are we going to get these earth anchors into the ground? So my art project managers came by and gave me a list of of sculptures in the area, well, <laughs> out in the desert, that had the equipment that I needed. So I've got this list, I'm like, all right, setting off. So I get in the truck and I go searching for them in these coordinates. And um, I didn't even so find much different the first than a Home one. Depot. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even <laughs> not go to Home Depot and get this thing. Here's a list of art projects, and here are their coordinates. Go find them and talk to them, and they'll tell you how to do this. Exactly. Yeah, it's so amazing. That was problem number one, which is an exciting problem to have. Um, so I'm on my way to go find this sculpture that has this heavy machinery that I need, and I stop along the way at what I think is that sculpture, and uh, I. I roll up and I pull out and I was like, hey, I've got these earth anchors and I told I was told that you guys might have some heavy equipment to install them and I was wondering if I might borrow that. And they go, oh, well, actually, we do have smaller versions of those anchors and they said, we don't have heavy, heavy equipment, but we do have this and they show me a, a 
auger that you can put into a portable drill and then uh, handmade um, basically it's the hex head uh, welded onto a a pole like this and then a horizontal pole welded onto that like old school style you, you know you get a group of people turning them into the ground so this is a this is a like a socket mm-hmm. like a hex socket that's got to be two inches two, a two inch hex socket and then what they've done is they welded like a one foot piece of steel straight out of the back of that yes and then put a t of another piece of steel so you could put that on top of this thing and then people could like walk around like Conan the Barbarian style exactly and like walk around this thing to drive it into the ground exactly so not a bobcat not a yeah. toe behind not right. a like big machine just this piece of steel that people push right yeah. and I was like sounds good to me I'd like they, they're like here you can just have it we're done and I was like okay that's super awesome so put that in the truck and I didn't even go farther to look for the heavy equipment because um, I was like I think this is gonna work um, so I went back to camp and and it worked like a charm we had all three earth anchors in the ground in what an hour at the most yeah. which was faster than everybody else it turns out that the two other the big heavy equipment um, failed both both uh, there were two pieces of equipment that failed that day. Um, that, were, so, that, that Burning Man was planning on using or potentially offering up as a solution for this, yes. for your problem. But yeah. those two failed. Those two failed, but, yeah. the, but the lo-fi, lo-fi yeah. one. My, and my understanding, if I, if I have it correctly, is that um, they were using uh, like pneumatic guns with them. And the pneumatic guns were creating so much force that they were um, shearing that pin off the back of the socket but because you were using human power you weren't applying that much force it was much more gentle Mm -hmm. and so like the slow and steady was getting them in but the big guns were like they were snapping the the tools so it's just you know the the old school way ended up being the way absolutely absolutely cool okay so we've got um I think we got the sculpture up. I think we've gone through all the all the bits and pieces of getting the sculpture up. So um, the next part would be uh, during the week. Was there any anything like during the week t- that came up? Anything that you needed to fix? Anything you needed to worry about? Like you had lighting elements. You had electrical elements. You had sound mm-hmm. elements. Like did those? Did you need to maintain any of that? You had a generator. Absolutely. Uh, the Generator was another big problem mm. we experienced. I, I rented um, some great generators in an effort to avoid having generator failure out there because um, it's harsh. It's a harsh environment for generators. Um, so I rent these two awesome generators, Honda generators, and we get out there, and the one that I had for the sculpture that was uh, had an inverter on it, so it was better for sound and lighting. Uh, didn't work. It, it it ran, but it didn't power anything, and that was I. Now I know I need to check that before I leave. And and, and the rental place also made a mistake there. Um, so that was the first problem: is that the generator that I brought out there for the sculpture failed. It's, and that was through no fault of yours or anything like that. They had something was wrong with that generator, and you hadn't double checked it they hadn't double checked it number one and then you hadn't double checked it before you took it out right so it didn't find that out until on arrival Mm -hmm. yeah so we had a bigger generator for the camp uh and you know we all use we use what we have out there and our uh 
our campmates, the, the four strangers, they had their own generator that they brought. And so they lended us that generator for the sculpture well and used the big generator for the camp. So that was great. It solved the problem, but I also was unfamiliar with the generator. I didn't know how long it was going to run. It presented some issues working with a generator that I wasn't uh, prepared to work with. And so, yeah, one of the, so one night it, it failed. Um, at some ran point. out of gas. It must have run out of gas, yeah. Um, and the piece went dark, which is uh, my was my worst nightmare. You know, I, I just can't state enough how important it was for me to have a safe sculpture. I just, I wanted it to be safe build all the way out and safe build out there. And I didn't want it to cause any injury. It's just like, I couldn't deal with that as an artist. So, so it was horrifying to me when I heard that it went dark because uh, I was just thinking there are huge art cars running around here that could easily just run right into it if right. they didn't All sorts it. of things so, could go bad, yeah. All sorts of things could go bad. So that was a, a warning, um, a lesson. Uh, we didn't have that issue anymore after that. We got into a better routine as a camp, uh, you know, to checking on it and, and making sure it was filled through the night. And so um, it the, the sound elements, did, did the generator have to be running 24-7? for the sound elements? Yes. We had plans initially of having a, the sound element, I guess, run off of a battery. Um, but that, again, the generator thing, it all got, got thrown out the window. So, yeah, the PC either worked or it didn't work. Right. <laughs> it was either generator on or, or not. So you, just, yeah, so you just had to run it all the time and had to make sure that you had enough gas to go until the next time you were going to be out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, it's tricky. It also just, when you say that, it also makes me think of this, um, that when you've got a sculpture like that out there and you're at Burning Man, you're really never fully at Burning Man. You're really like, you're constantly have your mind on your child. You Absolutely. Know? Like you, you, even when you're not near it, you're constantly in the back of your head. You're thinking about it. You know, you, I, I personally can't like engage the event when the piece is like alive. Like I just can't fully walk away from it and just be like, Oh, I'm going to go out and party. It's like, I'm constantly thinking, you know, what, what could be going wrong right now or any of that. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a big responsibility. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I learned that I didn't, it's not like I wasn't aware of it, but I, you know, it was my first piece. So yeah. there's only so much that I can be aware of without yeah. having done it before. Yeah. Yeah. But for sure, yeah, that 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 came up on like Monday night because I was like, I want to go party and have fun with my friends uh, until I'm like, yeah. you know, I yeah. have a responsibity, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> to make sure this thing, you know, stays lit and well, it's working. Yeah, and you also want to kind of keep an eye on it a little bit, and you know, like, let's go buy the piece. Let's go buy the piece. I know they, <laughs> yeah, the they kind of got sick of me saying, "Let's yeah, go buy the piece." Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, so then, uh, then the burn. Mm-hmm. So um, talk about that. Uh, let's talk about from a design standpoint. Right. Let's go back to the the design phase and what elements did you have in the design phase, uh, you know, towards the burn? Well, the whole thing is made of wood. Step one. Yes. <laughs> Which sounds obvious, but honestly, when you're making a sculpture, it's kind of hard to stick to 
something like that. You, you know? want to put a lot of steel in it. You know, the steel's a known quantity that is really good at standing up to the wind and yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's all made of wood, including the cladding, uh, and that was all part of the, the burn process as well. I had always had, I, so I viewed the burn process as a part of the piece. It's part of the story to be told, and, and I see that um, that as, a, as an essential component of burning a piece. You know, it's like you don't want to leave anything unthought of or leave something untended to. So I really wanted to have the burn be something really special. And I um, wanted fountain fireworks to come out the eyes and the mouth. So I constructed the eyes and the mouth in such a way that you could have the fountain fireworks in there. And we were doing a lot of testing on fuses because I wanted to have a fuse uh, start at the yarn ball and work its way around and go up the yarn and into the eyes and light off the fountains. Um, and that would start the fire. Um, so that was the, the whole plan. That was early. That was the early on plan. Um, so while we're constructing the thing, we're also doing testing out here of what kind of fuses might work because I'm limited in that way too. I can't use um, paper fuse, which is what you would commonly use down here. But due to winds and uh, moop, it's not it's not welcome up there. Um, so we had to come up with alternate means. So we did a lot of testing down here. Came up to a, found something that we thought worked real well. Um, what was that? It was just cotton rope soaked in diesel fuel, um, and it worked great. And it lit the it lit the yarn. It lit everything wonderful. Um, so also, um, when you're burning a piece, you need to have a perimeter. A human perimeter that's essential that you, your piece cannot burn unless you have the number of people that your fast uh, rep, fire art safety representative has told you you need, which in our case I think was 36 people standing at a 75 foot per, perimeter around the sculpture. Um, so we started recruiting down here. You know they want they want to know that you're on it like months ahead of time because it's no joke if you don't have your perimeter you don't burn mm -hmm. um, and they want your piece to burn everybody wants you to succeed <laughs> and that's that's just an amazing feeling um, so we started down here you know we start recruiting people have to do make these fancy lanyards that was really fun as a gift for people and also as a we had to have them they were required um, and so we have to put together this team of people with a burn lead and the perimeter leads. And, you know, we have roles to fill and we have to have them filled uh, before we go up there um, in order for them to give us the okay. So, again, I'd never done this before. Um, I hadn't really worked on a sculpture either. So <laughs> this is where inexperience really came in, I think. Uh, so that was... But there's also just, I mean, just a to address that notion that there's not a whole lot of uh, there's not a, a whole lot of places you can go to learn the things that you're that you're going to deal with on that night right you know so um, saying that you're inexperienced about it isn't you know so much about you it's the process like there's just not a whole you know there's not a whole lot of documentation. There's not a whole lot of, you know, ways of finding out how you know, how to do this. Mm -hmm. So this is the only way, in, in my perspective, this, you know, the way that you did it and having problems and discovering those problems. With the engineering, you can go to engineers 
and the engineers can solve your problems for you and they can tell you how to make it so it's not going to fall over. But like all of these things, this is all really tricky and it's all, each one's kind of unique. So it's really, you know, so yeah, I, I think everybody's an experience. Yeah. You know, right. that's, that's, that's where I'm kind of going. Is everybody's going to be an experience. Well, that part of the process, the, the main burn crew itself was in flux all the way up until the very end, basically. Um, I, again, safety is, was paramount to me the whole, throughout the entire process, especially when it comes to the burn. And to Burning Man. So yeah. they're, that's paramount to them. And so you guys line up on that and they're trying to support you and mm-hmm. make it all work. And I wasn't confident in the team. There were, I mean, I was very confident in my team. However, there were certain roles that I felt like um, needed to be filled by people who had done it before, by the limited number of people. (laughs) So that's when you stepped in, and that was awesome, uh, became our burn lead. And then we put Carlton in uh, along with Dave as perimeter leads, and they did a phenomenal mm-hmm. job. Carlton was getting, made sure we got our 36 people and that they were ready to go. And they held a great perimeter. They did a good, good job. And our burn went fantastic. I mean, that was a hard thing for me as a leader, especially up there, I think, to put on the leadership hat and go, you know what, I have to make a tough decision here. I'm sorry, but we have to switch up this team. Um, And I kind of agonized over it, but ultimately that, you know, you don't want to hurt anybody's ego. But at the end of the day, I wanted a safe burn and that was the most important thing to me. Yeah. Well, and I think that's an important thing about having uh, someone who's in the role as the leader who then, you know, is responsible for those things and takes responsibility for all of those decisions. I mean, that's the whole point, right? There are all of these decisions, these multitude of decisions that, you know, they have, the buck has to stop somewhere mm-hmm. and then they stop with you and you have to make those decisions. And if it's not working, then you have to say, this isn't working. We've got to change what we're going to do. And that yeah. was, you know, hard to go back to my fire art safety team mm-hmm. and say, Hey, that's stuff on paper and now we're changing it. I've got a different team, mm-hmm. you know, that, but Again, they were just, they were delighted because mm-hmm. everything fit into place absolutely perfectly with you being the lead and then Carlton having experience on other burning art pieces. And it was, it was, it was kind it, of the way it should have been. Exactly. It all kind of lands the right way. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, the burn went, the burn went fantastic. Um, the pyrotechnics did not work. <laughs> the fuse did not work. Yeah. After um, all that, all that research. After yeah. all the research and all the planning and all the testing down here, it did not work. Uh, but it's okay. Yeah. It burned great. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was beautiful. Yeah. You were, so you And you were happy with how that went down. Got a big crowd of people. Wow. It got a huge crowd of people. It was great placement. It was near the Esplanade. So, you know, you knew that people were going to come to it. It wasn't, like you said, it wasn't out in deep ply. It wasn't a destination. People who could just be casually walking by could just be like, oh, there's a burn, so you you know you get just additional people just automatically, which is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, I I had always envisioned like the art cars making the circle around it, I, and I was just hoping, hoping. I hope the art cars come, and they did. They, they definitely did. did, and the people definitely showed up, and we got all the perimeter crew that we needed, and everybody had a really really good burn. Oh my gosh, the piece looked so good up in flames, and it. So the burn itself was spectacular. Uh, 
um, the yarn ball caught fire and then a huge gust of wind came and carried the fire over to the sculpture and the sculpture started going up in flames and it was perfect with the with the uh, cladding the triangles um, tacked onto the outside of it that created a lot of surface area um, for the fire to, to grow and we had put um, little bottles of diesel fluid fluids um, at strategic places within the sculpture so when it hit that it kind of go up a little bit more and so the whole thing is in flames you can see the hearts on the belly through the flames and that was maybe my favorite so those piece. were cut out of wood mm-hmm. instead of uh, triangles so you got mostly triangles covering it but on the belly it was uh, heart shapes it was heart shapes yeah, yeah. that was jesus's idea that he got like right before we left um and i loved it i love that idea and so. that they, re- they they might not have been as obvious before the burn because everything kind of gets coated with playa mm-hmm. and it you know you might not have noticed them so much unless you got right up on them but the great thing about during the burn was they created a you know you could see the outlines of all of them with the flames inside the body and yeah, yeah. it was awesome yeah. and then the head fell off and then the whole thing fell right on the yarn ball. It was like a kitten pouncing. It yeah. was super fun. <laughs> it was great. And the whole thing, it didn't last long. I was, which was great. I, I'm, I've, you know, I was there the year that the man burned, man, it took what, like almost an hour for the mm-hmm. thing to burn mm-hmm. to the, for the perimeter to be released. Mm-hmm. And that's just a lot, it's you know, hard. so I didn't want, I didn't want to create something that would be a slow, long burn. I wanted it to be exciting. <laughs> and, and, uh, and it was that right that's the goal the goal is uh build something that's uh, beautiful that's super safe that can stay up for a week in the biggest winds that can possibly happen and then when you light it on fire it falls down in like 20 minutes yeah it's like that's a very specific <laughs> set of guidelines like there's there's not a whole lot of software that says oh okay well we'll plug all that in and it'll show us how to do that like right. <laughs> that doesn't really exist it's like well but you did it yeah yeah no it worked it yeah. worked yeah yeah and then you got the perimeter released so everybody can run up to it mm-hmm. yeah and it was it's it's been a really cool process hearing everybody's story Mm. Like the burn process itself was mm-hmm. really, really cool. Everybody had their own unique experience during it. Mm-hmm. And I love hearing all the little stories that came mm-hmm. up about, you know, what they experienced while the piece burned. So what was like, what was your emotional journey through that particular part of it? Because I think that one of the things that I want to, that I think is an interesting highlight for this podcast is going to be talk that people who have not experienced that the first the first question whenever whenever i show pictures of pieces that burn to people who don't go to burning man they always respond with you burned it mm-hmm. and they're like doesn't that make you sad you know mm-hmm. so, you know there's always that sort of reaction of you know isn't it upsetting to burn your or like they say you know i could never do that i could never burn my art i can't imagine or something like that Talk, what what's your emotional journey during that burning process you know as you're seeing it burning i was not sad (laughs) i was not sad at all (laughs) i was relieved Mm. i was so relieved that everything had gone according to plan that it was a safe burn that it wasn't you know boring that I, i was just elated i was so so happy and i had you know, burning the piece was just an integral part of this of this piece. It was something that was considered very early. Like, I just wanted to make a piece that was going to burn. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so yeah, but I do get that. I work in the entertainment industry and I work with a lot of artists. So at, at my job, um, even though I'm in a producer role, um, so I'm not in an artistic role, but I show them the, the pictures and they think they, they say that they're horrified. Yeah. How could you burn your art? Why would you want to do that? <laughs> it's like, well, it, it also just wouldn't really last. Like not burning it wasn't really an option, right? You can't just take, you know, you couldn't just take it and take it apart and bring it back and like build it in Griffith Park or something. It just isn't designed no. for that. It's designed to be burned after a week. That's what it was designed for. Absolutely. Wouldn't have used that much wood. But <laughs> <laughs> it does very, very different. <laughs> totally, very, very different. Um, but, but yeah, burning the pieces always. And it was, I have a yoga background. I'm a um, Pranavinyasa certified teacher. Uh, and I study the, the ancient texts. And um, letting go and the practice of detachment was very essential to this Piece and this piece being about joy, um, because in the Yoga Sutras, um, Patanjali talks about how um, we have to practice detachment if we want happiness. Um, when we attach to the things that bring us pleasure, ultimately they will bring us pain. Um, and so, but it, you know, joy intrinsic, intrinsically lives within us all. Always, it's like a, a, a river flowing through things all the time, kind of like compassion. Um, and so, my hope was that through the burn process and through the act of letting go, you know, maybe some, maybe that will be communicated to people in some way. Like, yes, this piece brought you joy for these five days, and now we let it go, and that joy's still there. We can think about this piece whenever we want. Mm-hmm. We can look back at our pictures or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's always there, whether the piece exists or not. Right. That I love that. Um, right. That it's that's the burning isn't just intrinsic to the design process. The burning is intrinsic to the message mm-hmm. of the piece. That the, the the letting go is specific to the to the experience of joy. Mm-hmm. That those are connected. That's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's in my experience very true, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know. Bringing back a 21-foot cat would not bring me joy. Where are you going to put it? <laughs> Where am I going to put it? <laughs> exactly. And, okay, okay. So, Burning Man does a fantastic job of helping you find a location for your sculpture if you make a sculpture that is not meant to burn. Um, so, it's not like there were no options for me. Um, but that was never never part of the part of the process because even if it's built and it gets a home like somebody has to tend to it it takes constant tending to i have you know a nine foot shark in my garage always and it needs to be cleaned and it needs to be repaired and like it's this thing that i'm not you know i can't throw it in the dumpster it's a responsibility that we carry as artists to Mm um especially as artists of big artwork we got to think of the back end of this thing and where are we going to store mm-hmm. it and how are we going to take care of it yeah yeah so um so then the the burn ends and so let's uh, let's take a minute to talk about uh leave no trace and sure. that process so, absolutely yeah so what's what are the what's the mindset leave no trace begins after the perimeter is released. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when our overnight team comes in 
and they stay with the sculpture all night and they rake in all the unburned pieces into the hot embers, um, reducing the piece to ashes. Um, and one of our four uh, strangers was part of the overnight crew. He was our overnight crew. He did a killer job. He, we got out there at dawn and he had like separated the metal from everything and made our job so easy. I mean, it was not easy, but you know what? <laughs> Easier than it could have been. Right. So that's, and I think that's a really, um, that's a really uh, invisible job that, you know, people who um, appreciate the artwork don't ever, you know, don't necessarily get to witness that job. And that job happens um, between, let's say, like midnight and dawn, just generally speaking. So it's a really hard time slot. And it's also at this moment where um, everybody on the crew is having this release and this joy. And is most likely, this is the first time that they're not worried about the sculpture, for instance, for, for you. So this is like the first time where you can actually maybe turn your back on the sculpture and actually look around and be like, oh, I forgot I was a Burning Man. And so there's a lot of, um, to me, there's a lot of draw for everyone to not be at the site. And the team that has to stay and do that overnight and remain focused and keep that together at a really hard time slot where it's really kind of thankless, like people aren't going to recognize it. I think that's a really, um, it's a hard job for someone to do and then to do well and kind of exceed expectations and hand you a, a well remediated site in the morning. That's an awesome thing. It is an awesome thing. And I don't know about your experience, but, um, in mine, there was like, it was the, the most obvious person for the job. Cause he's like, I, I'm going to be up all night anyway. Like I'm just on that schedule. You know, everybody's on their own schedules right. out there and right. there are people who's like, that's my favorite time is right. all night long. Right. So I'm down. Uh, awesome. He killed it. I, awesome. I was so grateful. So um, you show up in the morning. Show up in the morning and pull those earth anchors out. So mm -hmm. first thing I did is went to the island of the lost buoys and, and borrowed their equipment again. And then uh, Jesus and I went to the sculpture and we undid all four anchors. Uh, we clean up. Um, we got two metal trash cans. So we're putting all the leftover metal in those we've got uh the awesome magnetic rake which we couldn't live without right. <laughs> so we're raking over everything uh cleaning up all those nails and screws of which there were so many and bolts and brackets and nuts and all of those things and putting them into the garbage cans the metal garbage cans uh and at that point our we call in heavy machinery they come in and take out the burning man earth anchor and it actually ended up being the same exact guy who put it in Hilarious. Um, yeah, and that was a funny story too because he he put in our first earth anchor and we're we're all cheering and then we notice uh, the the uh, the machine is like just gushing diesel fuel fluid so he got stuck there. Oh my god! <laughs> so it was like first one down and machine broke and it ended up being the same guy that came back the second That's time. Hilarious. Machine did not break, but it was right. uh, it was all it was very sweet. So he came back, got that up, and then uh, then we start. Going in a, I, I like to do tight. I actually started out on the wide perimeter about what 
past where our human perimeter was, so 100 feet out from the sculpture, making large circles, circles. and then coming in in a spiral, picking up moop. Instead of going across it. Yeah. Right. And we're responsible, I, people probably don't know this, but when you burn art, you're responsible for demooping the area that the crowd is in as well. So all that it's a way it's a ways <laughs> it's a ways I right you did good i didn't hear anything bad so <laughs> well there'll be a moot map yeah yeah so you'll be on the moot map so you'll know you i'm sure you did fine yeah i think so <laughs> um cool and um right and then you know that's about the size of it right because then you're just throwing that stuff onto the truck mm-hmm. they come and they scrape the dg mm-hmm. they take up your decomposed granite you get an approval from art support services they check you out and then you're a burning man and then i'm at burning man for like what you had a great recommendation to burn on thursday night that was just perfect so that meant friday was all leave no trace day so we got to hang out friday night was a good night all day saturday um but saturday you know we're packing up too and then sunday yeah sunday we actually ended up leaving on sunday yeah. um, so well and that's the thing it's also it's super exhausting Right. I mean, it's the most exhausting burn you can have. Like, you know, because that whole time it's up, you're constantly thinking about it. You know, you're in, you're doing all the work of installing it. You're doing all the work of burning it. You're doing all the work of cleaning it up. And then while it's actually up, you're doing all the work of just like stressing about it. So it's <laughs> like that whole period until it burns and hits the ground. To me, it was the perimeter release. Right. Like when the perimeter gets released, that's kind of not it's done right like there's you know there's nothing left to stress about at that point right is that was that your experience pretty much yeah pretty much i mean i still felt like i had problems to solve all the way you know until you me, got home even weeks after we got home yeah you know like i had to uh take stuff to the dump right you know? yeah yeah yeah. To, uh, clean out the truck. Clean out the truck. All all the stuff. There's all that stuff. Organize my garage. You know. Right. Um, so yeah, the work the work continued. I think we're, I'm done now. So <laughs> now it's time to submit my proposal for, for next, next year. year. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. What's your what What are you doing? What are you proposing for next year? I'm proposing another joy cat. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to. My my hope is that I can do a couple of these joy cats, and then somebody else might want to make a cat, and I could help mentor them through the process. So that nice. we ha- it's a thing, you know, nice. to have a cat out there because cats come in all shapes and sizes. They're really fun. They make fun shapes, you know. And, and who doesn't like cats? Right, know? right. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and I think um, one of the things that came out of uh, Joy Cat was kind of a temple aspect to it that um, people. I know I um, wrote notes to uh, my cats that had passed away, and I, I saw lots of other notes to, um, you know, to other people who, not just cats, but even dogs, you know, and so people, you know, using it almost like the temple. So the thought of having one every year as kind of this um, focus point for people to have, you know, a temple for their pets, you yeah. know, is a, is a fitting concept. It was. It was really. I knew that that was gonna. I knew it was gonna turn into that just naturally. I mm-hmm. had a sp- suspicion about that, and then Jen told me that that's what happened with Dot the dog right. as well. 
Um, and so I had a suspicion that that was ha- going to happen. So I embraced it, and we started writing on on the hearts right away, and writing messages, and people left markers out there and everything. And I think that it's a really cool thing to build a sculpture that brings people healing. And there was, there was. Do I have time to go tell a little story real quick? <laughs> so when we're, we're, we're almost out of no, we're not out of anything. <laughs> So I think one of the most impactful moments to me out there as an artist was uh, one day, it was daytime, I can't remember which day it was, but I was working inside the sculpture, just tending to some lighting or something like that, and I come out of the sculpture and there's a naked man standing there and he's searching for a marker, and I can tell he wants to write something. He's naked, so obviously he doesn't have a marker. So <laughs> I knew where the markers were, so I grabbed one and I handed it to him. And he started, he was like, thank you so much. He's like, I know this seems silly, but I just had to come write something for my cat that we lost. And he goes, I was on this naked pub crawl and I see this piece out here. And he goes, and I'd seen it a few times. And he goes, I knew I wanted to come see the piece and write something on it. Uh, but he was like, oh, I'll wait to another minute. And then he thought, no, I'm not going to do that. So he, he, you know, immediacy. So he left his naked pub crawl and walked across the desert naked uh, <laughs> to write this message for his cat that had lost. And I was like, oh, that's that's really sweet. And then he starts telling me a little bit more about it, about how he didn't really realize how much the cat meant to him. Um, and that he had a daughter, a little two-year-old daughter, or something like that, and or maybe older, maybe four or something. Anyhow, he felt that he needed to be strong for his family with the cat passing, and he didn't really realize how much the cat passing had meant to him until he saw the sculpture because the sculpture really and the sound that the sculpture made he said that it was exactly his cat he's like she made the same meow she had the same playful energy and I just I really miss that and it was really really sweet for him to open up and be totally vulnerable with this stranger me um, like completely vulnerable obviously he's not wearing any clothes mm. uh, and then he asked if I knew who was this, you know, anything about the artist, and I was like, well, that was me, and then he just completely lost it. <laughs> uh, and he was just in tears and gave each other a big hug. And for me as an artist, it was that, that like, if I could m- transmute that into, like, a, a something that could work on a, on a the scale of humanity, mm-hmm. that's what I would love mm-hmm. to, to achieve. Mm-hmm. Just holding space for the, for the vulnerable man mm-hmm. to, to feel, to have feelings, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. It was so, so impactful to me as an artist to have a piece that brought healing and then uh, on this kind of scale, too. It was just, it was awesome. Well, awesome that specific time. narrative, right? That specific narrative of um, men not feeling the, the right to be vulnerable, not feeling the security to be vulnerable in their lives and feeling that they have a requirement to, to mask those emotions. And then you providing the key to unlock that somehow. I mean, that's, yeah, that's an amazing story, right? That's who would think that the giant cat was capable? Exactly. Exactly. But there's something about the cats. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, there's something about there's something about um, clear intention. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that the, my, my opinion is that it's it's not specifically the cat. It's that you came with 
clear intention Mm -hmm. and the cat is a vehicle for that clear intention but you know the to me that clear intention is the and i usually boil it down to vision that um vision is the hardest thing to provide but once you can provide that vision then all of the other components come to support it that you know you had the reason why this project worked was because you walked in with vision and people could see that and they could see the vision and that's how you get people you know you talk about how you know just people start showing up and you know phone numbers start happening things like that it's because of the vision and if the vision's powerful and clear and and works then it's going to attract support and to me that's the that's the key that the cat part is great, but the cat part is the vision, and I think that's I think that's what you provided. Is you provided a vision that people could hang on to. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. It was key to making the piece happen. Yeah. Well, I think that's what the piece is. Yeah. The piece is the manifestation of the vision, and that people see that and they see that freight train. They're like, oh, the freight train's headed for the vision. Let's get on that train, and we're just gonna we know where it's going. Yeah. Cool. What else? What did we miss? Did uh, you get to? Um, did, did you get everybody on your uh, on your list? Did you? Is there anybody I got a else? A lot of people. Yeah. Anybody uh, else you want to shout out for uh, for helping through the process? Absolutely, absolutely. So obviously Carlton, uh, thank you for being there. as big support this entire time, and Jesus and Jen and the engineering team at Ribu and. Um, oh yeah. What was so? What's the engineering company? Because they've done Ribu. R B H U. Yeah, so they had done. They were doing several pieces mm-hmm. on the playa this year. One of the things that I thought was amazing was at one point we were having a little bit of trouble figuring out how to attach the sculpture to the earth anchors from the engineering designs, and you actually got the engineer, right, or somebody from the firm. yeah they were out there yeah and actually showed up on site and you're like oh yeah they're here working on some other projects and they actually came over. And actually looked at the blueprints with us. It's like, oh, we have the engineer right here. This is amazing. It was so nice and so helpful. You were there. Thank you for all your help figuring oh, yeah. out the anchor situation. But that was um, a logis- that was a logistical hurdle, uh, and it was great to have them out there. But we did a good job too because we really presented them with solutions rather than making them come up with the solutions oh, yeah. themselves yeah. and that was that was key but it's exciting you still want their approval because they're 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 looking at it with eyes that we can't look at it with and so they walk up and we say we think this will work and they go yeah that'll work and it's like good we thought so you think so this is what we're going to do we have the parts for that we'll just make that happen exactly yeah no that was that was actually really fun well problem solving I mean, in your line of work, there's got to be a lot of... Yeah, it's that's be what like, I do. Yeah, problem solving. And it's like there's a real um, fulfillment to me that comes from the problem solving process. And going out there and having this big bucket of stuff, you know, having all your Legos and you dump them on the ground and you're like, I don't know how these are going to go together. I'm pretty sure this is going to work. And then, and then we solve all those problems. It's like that's, that's super fulfilling. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Cool. And then Jesus, of course, and 
Todd, Joe, Max, and Jared, mm. the strangers, awesome. <laughs> and uh, Dustin and Payal, who I met uh, in Denver. I gave a talk at my alma mater and talked about how I got to where I am in my career, and I talked about the Joy Cat a little bit, and they were on board. I recruited them from this talk in February uh, at my at my alma mater. So Dustin and Payal came out, and they were amazing. Dustin designed the website and tons of other stuff. He was great. And our friend Sam Saldivar, who he documented everything. We've got like 12 hours of footage, I think, something like that, that... Um, you know, it'd be cool to make a little film uh, with or something. Someday. Someday. Nice. Someday. Nice. Someday. That could be fun. Who else today? Oh, my work friends. <laughs> who, who recommended all who, of these people. We're so encouraging Mike Pettengill the whole time from the beginning, from the, the its tiniest inception, which was basically after the man burned, what was that, 2018. And he was like, you have to do the piece. You have to do the piece. I will be there with you. You have to do the piece. And so he was super encouraging. And Tommy was encouraging. And um, and who else did I forget? Um, Frank helped us out. And George helped us out from work. And we just had an awesome group of, of volunteers. Mighty, mighty volunteers. They were awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. That gets everybody, I think. Um, so then uh, what's the website? I'll put, I'm going to put all this in the show notes, but just so we've got it. What's the website? Uh, www.joycat2019.com. Cool. And there was an Instagram? It's my own personal Instagram. It's Which, just Rebecca Totman. Awesome. And that's also where we could find out about the ongoing iterations of Joy Cats, yes. plural. Look at Rebecca Totman uh, Instagram and see where that's going from here. Yes. Cool. Now I have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and hey, you know, it, it's one of the things I love about Burning Man is it's a deadline, right? Because we need a deadline. We have to have a deadline. But it's also a deadline that you know is there every year. Uh-huh. You know, so it's like you can now push as hard as you can. And if something happens and for some reason it doesn't work out, none of that work goes to waste. Mm-hmm. You know, you have that for next year. But you, deadlines are important. It's like, here comes yeah. this deadline. So, yeah. Yeah, Burning Pan provides so much. But deadline and platform are, are two of the big ones as an artist. That's what we need. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Cool. Anything else? Uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. I this s- is great. I, I wouldn't do art in any other way but to burn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that you know. Now that you know it's a thing. Yeah, exactly. Now that you have that buzz, it's hard to walk away from that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you for coming. And uh, thank everybody uh, for listening. And there you have it. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Bill Zunkin for his cover of Burning For You by Blue Oyster Cult. You can find him on Instagram at... B-I-L-L underscore Z-S-U-N-K-A-N For more information on this episode and the podcast in general, including links to websites and Instagrams of our guests and your host, you can head over to buildtoburn.com. Build to Burn is a part of the Burner Podcast Network. Be sure to check out Burner Podcast for a wider view of Burning Man and dig down into other Burner Podcast Network shows facets of the community thanks to Arash for all the work he does thanks to Raz for his expertise 
And as always, thank you for having the fire that brings light into this world. <laughs>